ready. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. And today we're with Ian Steinberg, a matrimonial attorney from Berkman, Barker, Newman, and Stein. And he is a specialist in all areas of matrimonial divorce. How are you today, Ian? I'm doing well, Rich. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. It is a pleasure to have you. It is a pleasure to continue to meet people virtually as the pandemic, which was going to be over after a year, goes on and on and on. <laughs> and we're lucky we have this technology, so at least we get to see each other's faces. Yeah, well, you know, at this point, we're all vaccinated. We should probably just risk it. But that's a whole nother conversation we're going to have with President Biden next week. Yeah, I'll stay out of that one and leave that for, uh, you know, those at uh, a higher pay grade. Yeah, there you go. So I'm curious, how did your heart lead you to become a matrimonial attorney? So when I graduated law school, I started as a real estate attorney, uh, representing building owners, landlords, et cetera, in, uh, throughout New York City. And while I certainly got some fantastic experience doing that, and I enjoyed the work, I, I felt like I was missing something. And what I think I was missing was that personal connection. And mm. maybe that's hard in a lot of fields of law to really have, you know, it be in a position in which you feel that emotional connection to your client and like you're really, really helping them. And so I, you know, I kind of got to this place where I wanted to, I wanted to make a change. I wanted to be working with people in their personal lives every day. And while I certainly swung the pendulum about as far to the other side as you can be and now really help people um, get really down and dirty into their personal lives. Um, I, I feel much more rewarded by being able to help my clients now in the matrimonial world than I did in the real estate world. And I was, I was really missing that representing, you know, one, two, three West fourth street LLC, for example, I'm representing a building and it's steel as opposed to representing an actual person. Oh, I, I so get that. You know, in my uh, previous incarnation, when I was getting my master's in social work, I used to help people design outdoor spaces for their families. It might be a rooftop garden, might be a, a suburban garden, I don't, and we would build it also. And what would happen is inevitably, if I was working with a couple, they'd like get into it, you know, and I would always feel like I needed to help them with that, but I couldn't because that's not what I was there for. So I would kind of tie it up into a quick bow and then we get back to the landscape. And so it's no wonder that later on in life now, I, that's actually what I help people with. And I help them like yourself, I either help them deal with not having that fight while they're together, or I help them disengage from that fight while they're divorcing. So the divorce goes more smoothly. You know, it's that same desire to really help people more deeply. So I completely, completely understand that. And I understand that you, as a result of your, your previous incarnation, have a great deal of experience in helping people separate the emotional from the material when it comes to divvying up real estate in the divorce process. Yeah, look, I mean, when, when couples are getting divorced, oftentimes their biggest assets are their real estate, whether it's yeah. their home, their apartment, or whatever it might be. And a lot of times people have this emotional connection to their home. And I think that's, of course, understandable. It's where you raised your kids. It's the place you put time into mm -hmm. renovating to become your own. And it was, it's your family home. Mm -hmm. And now that, you know, that separation is taking place, sometimes that's something you want to hold on to because it's comfortable. It's familiar. It's the place that you've always been in. 
but that might not always be the best decision to, for you to make to stay in that home for your future. And I think that a lot of times people can get hung up on, on clinging to the home when, you know, that's tying up a lot of your assets into just one place. When you think about what else you can take in the divorce when you're splitting up and splitting up the assets besides just the home and, and look, you know, all of the costs that come along with it. I mean, I always joke that a pipe doesn't burst in a bank account, right? So there's, there's no reason why you would have to have that sort of extra fund to maintain it like you would have to do in a, in a, if you're keeping the home. And so there's all these things to consider mm -hmm. uh, when you're making that decision, but sometimes the emotion just gets in the way. And of course it makes perfect sense because the home kind of represents the nest, the place where you're going to launch your family, launch your dreams, launch your future. And divorce is all about the dissolution, renegotiation and transformation of all that into something else. And if you're not ready to let go of you know, what it represents, then you're probably not going to be ready to let go of the idea of having that space itself. Hey, I'm, I'm curious. I know you do every, everything you do is confidential, but have you got, have you got a juicy story for us about this, about I'm interested in how holding onto the home might've really cost someone so much more time and money than they needed it to. Yeah. I mean, look, we have the, 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 what unfortunately become run of the mill situations where one person wants to move out of the home and the other one wants to stay and, you know, there's this, I'm not going to show the apartment. I'm not going to let the broker come. I'm always going to be sick or sleeping or tired uh, when, when the broker's coming to show. But, you know, I think, I think a lot of times it is an instance in which couples can work together. And I know that's not the juicy, exciting story that maybe, you know, your listeners are looking for, but I think it is something that can be a little uplifting when you're thinking about, okay, you have kids who are 14, 15, they're going to college soon. And maybe you guys can work together where one person will move out, the other person will stay there and you'll work to, you know, either pay the expenses together or find out how maybe spousal support can cover the expenses, things like that, until the kids graduate. So there's continuity for the children. So, I mean, you know, we certainly have some quote unquote, juicy issues when people are being challenging for the sake of being challenging. But I do think that there is an opportunity for couples to work together if they Absolutely. can for the benefit of themselves and hopefully for their children too. Absolutely. Uh, can we talk just for a second about uh, what, uh, maybe not a juicy story, but what the potential costs could be? The costs in terms of staying. Uh, uh, here's, what, here's what I know. All right. And uh, this is really my, this is a pitch for attorneys like you. Right? The, the story that people make up about divorce lawyers is that they're all greedy SOBs who will make the, the divorce go on as long as possible because they want to squeeze every dollar out of that client. And that's why they charge by the hour and not by the job. Right? That's the story that's out there about divorce. But the reality is there are a lot of attorneys like yourself, like your firm, which has a really rock solid reputation, um, where they really care about the client, the well-being of the client, and they understand that happy clients, happy meaning uh, shorter divorces, less costly divorces are more likely to refer people to them than squeezing every penny out of them. So what I'm wondering is uh, what, can the, what can the cost be in terms of time fighting about the, the real estate as opposed to getting clear that this is just an asset? 
Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I certainly know that that's the perception. And like you said, would love to think that our firm is not like that. And we, we do try and help clients get to as quick. I'd like to think, no, I'm going to tell you, your firm's not like that. I know people in your firm, your firm is not like that. You know what, Rich, that's why I'm happy to be here and happy to be chatting with you. Cause you're right. We are not like that. And, and I think, look, in terms of costs, not only do you have the costs or the attorneys uh, haggling back and forth at, like you said, an hourly rate, trying to figure things out. If you get to court, obviously the fees then get astronomical um, about arguing like that and, and things that, you know, maybe you can work out without court intervention, but you got to remember the carrying costs too, right? I mean, for every time you're not, you, you know, you're not selling the apartment when you agree to, you have another month of the mortgage, you have another month of the taxes, you have another another month of the maintenance or the commons charges, um, the, the electric bill, the water bill, all of these things that come along with that hanging on to the house. And you know, I think that's something really important to remember that when you're fighting about these things, you're, all of the money it costs you to fight comes from a marital pot that ultimately just reduces the amount of money that you're going to be splitting later or that you're going to be giving to your kids later. So it's the time and the energy. It's really about right there. What it's really about is it reduces the amount of money that you're going to be spending in your kid's college. If the question is whose kids are you going to put to college? You're going to put Ian's kids through college or your kids through college? Not that Ian wants you to put his kids through college, but if you're going to fight over the real estate, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, we always make that joke. You want to fund my kids' 529 account or your kids' 529 account? And we'd always prefer that you fund your own kids because, you know, if couples can work together, I always think that that hopefully will create an agreement once we're done that they can actually live by and that will stick. And they're not calling us again two, three years down the road saying this doesn't work because they work together to come to that agreement. And that's always better for, for couples to make sure that it's something that they can stick to because they're living it day to day. For us, we're typing the parenting agreement or the real, you know, the agreement based on the real estate sale up into the document. We're working with you, and then we're not really seeing it unless you bring it back up. But parents and and the couples are living it every single day. That's a great point. You know, you could theoretically go through your divorce and do everything right on paper, right? Make the decision to sell the real estate. Um, de deal with your support issues, your parenting plan, all that other good stuff. Uh, what, you know, who's going to be responsible for what? Get to the end of the divorce. But emotionally, if you're not moving with that process, you might be calling your attorney or Ian or someone like that, you know, three years down the line saying, hey, wait a minute, this agreement sucks. So how do you, what suggestions would you give to people in the divorce process to help them move emotionally with the process so that they're either not holding back the legal process or they're keeping up with the legal process emotionally. Yes, yeah, see, I think that the divorce is, is a very challenging process and the easiest way, in my opinion, to get through it or to at least make it less painful is to have a team, right? So you work with someone like you, Rich, you work with someone like myself, you work with a financial advisor and, and why an accountant, why is that? Because we each have our own specialties and if you're able to kind of, work with someone through the issues, you know, like yourself through the, the emotional aspect, you then hopefully will be able to see the legal aspect a little more clearly and, and maybe make a, be able to make a separation between the emotion of, let's say, staying in the home versus the reality of, can I actually afford to stay in the home? And then, you know, you can talk to your financial advisor. Does it make sense for me to do this? Talk to your accountant. What is the tax implications of this? So I think the more 
you know, assuming that you can afford to do so, the more professionals that you can have on your team, I think the better that you'll be able to move through that process. And then hopefully once you're done with the process, be comfortable with what you've done, be comfortable with the agreement that you signed and be able to move on into this, this new life, you know, in, in as positive of a way as you can. So what I'm hearing you say, it sounds like, is um, change the way you look at the divorce. Like I know that a lot of people when they, they get to the divorce, they're like, I just want to get it over with. I can't tell you how many people I've had show up at my groups when, uh, back in the day before the pandemic when we used to have live groups. I'd have these guys who would come in and say, yeah, I'm getting divorced and I just want to start dating someone. <laughs> I just want to get it over with. I want to get, and you know, they would basically what they'd be saying is, I want to fill that. I've got an, an applic applications right now for this spot that my wife used to fill. I want to fill the spot so I can just get my life back on track. And they just want to get it over with. Um, and inevitably, they would have the longest, most painful. They'd be coming back, you know, six months later saying, I'm still looking for someone to fill this spot and nothing's happening in my door. So I don't know what to do. And eventually they get to talking about the real problems. So it's this attitude of I just want to get it over with that leads to claw marks and you know, slow processes and pain. And so it sounds like what you're saying is if you can look at the divorce as an opportunity, if you can bring in people to help you move through it, it you're going to do a lot better. Yeah, definitely. And I also think, you know, the point that you're also making too is that you have to take a long-term approach, right? It's not about today. It's not about tomorrow. It's about three, four, five, 10, 15 years down the road, especially when there's children involved, because while you might not be married for the rest of your life, you'll always be those kids' parents. And so when it comes to parenting, where you know you have to make sure that you're taking a long-term view, and even when it comes to, again, back to the real estate, you don't want to be able to say, okay, right now I can afford to pay the mortgage, the taxes, et cetera. But what happens down the road if I need a new boiler? What happens down the road if, you know, I'm going through all of this money and I just can't afford it? What happens when I sell and I might need to pay some taxes on, on, the, on the apartment or the home? Those things all need to be taken into account now because it's much harder to change the agreement once you've made it than it is to negotiate one that is good for you now and tomorrow and five, 10 years down the road. What do you think about nesting? Interesting. I think when I bring it up to clients, sometimes I get, wow, that's a great idea. And I, some clients say to me, what are you, what are you crazy? And I think, you know, it's really great for the stability of the kids. I think it's a really good option short-term in terms of saying, okay, you know, we can find another apartment to rent while we own this apartment. The kids will stay here. Maybe they'll, that means they'll stay in the same school district um, and the parents will be able to come in and out and it'll definitely provide the stability for the kids. My concern is, is sometimes if they're only sharing one other apartment, the parents, you know, what happens when someone uses up all the ketchup or has maybe a, a you know, a guest over that the other, you know, their, their ex-spouse might not be uh, so thrilled that they have. And they come back and you got the, you know, the scent of perfume there. And I, think I, haven't, I hadn't heard about it that way. So nesting folks, just in case you don't know, is where you maintain the marital home, whether it be a, a home or an apartment or whatever, the kids stay in it and the parents switch off taking care of the kids in that place. So the kids have stability. And one way I hadn't heard about this before that Ian's just talking about is you have another apartment that you share. So your roommates in this other apartment, you never see each other because you're always alternating with the kids. Another way would be to get two separate apartments or places to live. Um, and then there's this new model I was reading about in the newspaper 
where you take the house and one parent lives upstairs. This is if you have two stories and the other one lives downstairs. So I guess that means you have a separate kitchen and upstairs and a separate kitchen downstairs. It's almost like, um, it's almost like taking two apartments in the same building. Right, and that's and that was exactly what I was going to say, with, which is that's hard in New York City. Yeah, it's hard in New York City to really have that type of separation unless you have two apartments and, you know, the kids go in the elevator up and then they come back down to mom's downstairs or vice versa. You know, I think the idea of nesting certainly requires a, a fair amount of, you know, of financial flexibility, especially if you're going to have the marital home and then two other apartments. Yeah. Now you're looking at housing costs for three different places. Yeah. Um, if you are sharing the other apartment, it's still for two different places. Um, and so it's certainly, you know, I, what I really like about it is the stability for the children. What makes me nervous is how that's going to be able to be funded, especially in New York. I mean, what happens if it's just, you know, you need six months until you're selling the house or nine months, hard to find leases for that type of uh, time, you know, short time period, although it is doable. And again, I think when you think about the kids, not only is the familiarity of them with the home, but like I said before, school districts, right? That has to always be taken into consideration mm -hmm. when, you know, parents are now moving into two different homes, you know, where are, are they going to be able to, you know, stay in the same school? What happens with busing or things like that uh, in that in that connection? And obviously that's not as big of a deal busing wise in New York City as it would be in, in Westchester or Long Island. But um, those are certainly, you know, the nesting I think does have its benefits, but also some of its pitfalls too. So what I'm hearing so far is to, to do this in a way that's going to be more cost effective and less stress on the children, you want to first, you're going to accept that the other parent, you and the other parent are going to have a relationship as long as you and they and the children live. And so you might as well make the best of it, whatever that looks like. It might look like having a really terse business arrangement that, that's effective in terms of child management, or it might be warmer than that. And the second thing I'm hearing is uh, be prepared to make changes because that's what divorce is about. And may, the third thing, and this isn't sequential, by the way, is that to, to stay very child centric, like the well-being of the children really come and needs to come first. Yeah, I mean, again, when when we were talking before about, you know, what in my heart was the reason that brought me here, I think helping children was another, you know, was one of those main reasons. And I think parents who can keep that in mind throughout the divorce process and have the question always be what's best for my children will ultimately end up with a better settlement. And I think it could lead to them working together better because they are working towards a common goal, which is ensuring that as much stability as possible for the kids as they transition into a new life too, because while both parents are now working on their own transition into separate lives, it's the same for the kids because it's not going to be the same. Now they're going to be spending, you know, a, a different nights in different homes and going back and forth and things like mm -hmm. that. And that's always certainly challenging. And I think that keeping that in mind, hopefully can sometimes cool, cool the temperature down a little bit because you're in a place where maybe I can't stand him. I can't stand her, whatever it might be, but hopefully you can kind of take a step back and say, you know, that type of, behavior doesn't help or those types of emotions don't help a us move our divorce process forward and b help our kids well you know i've worked with clients who have had people on the other side that they felt were really toxic and they learned to stand them because 
they had to. I mean, it, it, to, it only aggravated them to not learn to stand them. You know, so standing the other person is a choice. It doesn't mean you have to like them. It doesn't mean you have to make them right. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Uh, but you do, if you're going to have a, a relatively serene life on, on your side of the pool, it, it, coming to terms with who they are and who you're dealing with and that you had children with this person, so you're kind of stuck with them is part of the game. Uh, you know, something that we're working on right now is helping our clients to get greater clarity about taking care of themselves, like mind, body, spirit, emotion, intellect, values, and their own sense of mission and purpose first, because when they have that stuff lined up, um, then they tend to deal with outside stressors a lot better once they have the internal stuff in place. You know, and I think working with you in that process, when your clients are going through that, I think will only help them in their divorce process and in, in getting to an ultimate agreement that is something that they can work with going forward because you can kind of make that separation, right? You're, you're, you're dealing with the emotional aspect, which will then hopefully allow you to deal with the legal aspect, the financial mm -hmm. aspect more clearly. And so I, you know, for us as divorce attorneys, we are always really thankful when people like you, Rich, are working with, with our clients as well, because I think it just helps. It, it honestly makes our job easier because of that idea that we can just focus on, okay, it's not, you know, I want to get the most out of him or her as possible. It's, I want to work forward to an agreement that we both might not be happy with, but that we can live with. And I think that ultimately is a good settlement. Yeah. Yeah. The more you have your eyes on the prize and the more accepting you are of reality as it presents itself, those two things, and presumably the prize is your children's well-being and whatever future it is you're creating for your family, the shorter your divorce, even if the other person is highly contentious, the divorce itself is going to be shorter and less costly and less painful. Hey, um, how can people find you, by the way? Um, you can find me by uh, my LinkedIn, which is just Ian Steinberg. Mm -hmm. uh, you can also email me at isteinberg at berk, B-E-R-K, bot, B-O-T, dot com, or on our website, which is www.berkbot.com. And we're going to put all that good stuff in the notes for this show, of course. Um, I'm curious, what is the best story you have about people managing their real estate and financial concerns and moving forward? Or what's the best, the, how, what's your ideal outcome might be a better way to put it since telling stories really isn't so good if you've like promised confidentiality. <laughs> no, I mean, we've, we've had a couple situations in which couples, and I'm thinking of one in particular in which the couple was really able to recognize the fact that while they were about to go through this process, the real estate market was very down, uh, especially in Manhattan where their apartment was. Mm -hmm. And they decided, look, you know, you, the, the wife was going to stay in the home. They agreed for four years. The husband who happened to be the moneyed spouse, who the one who was the, you know, was working and was the, just the, the breadwinner for the family uh, was going to pay part of his spousal support obligation directly to the, the carrying costs. So to the mortgage, mm -hmm. to the house, uh, I mean, to, to the mortgage, to the taxes, to the commons charges, et cetera. And they decided that down the road in four years, they were going to make a decision based on the market uh, as to whether or not 
she was going to stay in the home and buy her husband out, or they were going to collectively decide to settle, uh, sorry, to, to sell. And I think that an outcome like that is something that is so beneficial because it makes it so that they can keep maintaining this joint asset, realizing that their goal is to maximize the value of it. It allowed their kids who were in college to still come home to what was always the marital home and feel that sense of stability. And it really just led to an opportunity for the two of them to work together to ultimately realize it's better if we do this and it's gonna take cooperation. We're gonna to have to make sure if something breaks, we're gonna to have to you know, work together to make sure we pick the right repair person or whoever it might be. But it ultimately is the best for them and their family because they're again they're maximizing the value of the asset. They're providing stability for the children, and all it really took was, you know, working to working together and you know some good lawyering too. What a great story! Hey, I, I want to take this opportunity to make some plugs for some of the not for profits out there. You know, Ian mentioned that um, it's good to have a team if you can afford it, and if you can't, uh, reach out to Family Kind who supplies coaches and parent coordinators and um, all kinds of assistance that you might want, but don't feel like you can afford at a lower rate. They're a not-for-profit. Or and it's also really important to understand finance and money. You know, it might be that uh, some of what we're talking about is just going over your head because like, let's face it, not everyone gets a great education in finance or we might take an economics class but never understand how to run our own personal finances. Uh, it's just, it's something that's overlooked a lot. If you're a woman, you can reach out to Savvy Ladies, which is a not-for-profit that's like dedicated to helping women understand finance and really uh, feel empowered in that area. And if you're a man, I don't know. <laughs> there, there isn't a savvy men yet, but um, you know, there are lots of uh, coaches. I would say go to daveramsey.com uh, or no, ramseysolutions.com is what it is uh, in either case, because that's a great place to learn more about your personal finances and things you can do. All right. So now that I've made all those plugs for that, that was actually a for-profit ramseysolutions.com. Uh-oh. Um, but there is so much free information on that site. It's worth going to. Uh, what I'm going to ask you the question I ask everyone when we get to the end of the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is the legacy you want to leave behind? I think the legacy professionally, at least that I want to, I want to leave behind is just being someone who is honorable, honest, um, and able to just get the best results for my clients without sacrificing integrity. I mean, you spoke about it before that there's this conception about lawyers in my field that they're trying to, you know, milk the fees and all of that. And that is not me. That's not my firm. And I, I think we all here at, at my firm take a lot of pride in that. And, you know, at the end of the day, the goal for us is to get the best results for my clients. So, you know, when I'm old and gray and retired, I would love that, you know, people would say about me that I was honorable, I was fair, I was good to work with, um, and that we hopefully had some fun along the way. There you go. I love that. Thank you so much. We're going to have to do this again. Thank you for having me, Rich. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. You too.